The Lord be with you. Today we hear Jesus talk about the gates of Hades. And so for me to explain what he means when he talks about them, I first have to start by explaining to you what in the world Hades is. So Hades is the name of a Greek god. We've got a statue of him there with his famous three-headed dog Cerberus. Hades is the god of the underworld in Greek thought. And I want to make clear, the way the Greeks thought about the underworld, which they also called Hades after the Greek god, is a little different from the way that we think about hell, right? We think about hell as a place that you go if you're bad and it's a place of eternal torment, that sort of thing. For the Greeks, Hades was basically where everybody went. I mean, unless you were like an amazing hero good enough to be made a god or something after you die. But for most mortals, eh, unless you're particularly good or particularly bad, you just kind of go to Hades. And Hades is a place of shadows where the people who live there, they're shades, they're insubstantial, and they're described as flitting here and there without purpose. And I've got a picture here of what most people think of as Hades, right? You have to take the ferry across the river Styx, and, and there you can see those shadowy figures flitting about you. And the truth is, people don't want to be there, right? It's not a great spot to be, and if you have a loved one who's there, you don't want them to be there either. And so most of the stories in Greek mythology about Hades are about people trying to get out, or about people trying to get their loved one out. And the most famous, perhaps, is the story of Orpheus and Eurydice. Yeah, I've got a picture of them up here. Orpheus, he's, uh, you'll so notice there's a lyre at the bottom of a picture, a musical instrument, kind of like a harp. Orpheus is famous for his musical ability. To this day, theaters are often named after Orpheus. But Orpheus was in love with this woman named Eurydice. They married, and then she died, and she goes to Hades. Well, Orpheus is distraught. And because he makes such great music, everyone wants to help him out, so they help him get down to Hades, and there he, he has a conversation with the god Hades, and he plays this beautiful music, and he convinces Hades to let Eurydice leave. But Hades gives him a condition. Hades says, okay, Eurydice can leave Hades, but only if she can follow you all the way out of the underworld to the surface without you ever looking back. You take whatever chance you get, so Orpheus says, I'm in. And he, he sings, and he plays his music, and he guides Eurydice up, up, and slowly they begin to get out of the underworld until they get very close to the gates of Hades. And Orpheus realizes he hasn't heard her footsteps this whole time. And he wonders to himself, is she really back there? Is, is she just the shade? Will she come back insubstantial, just a ghost? And so, right as he's about to cross the threshold, he looks back just to check. And sure enough, there she is. But because he looks back, she gets swept down into the underworld again. And the gates of Hades prevail. So, another famous story is the story about a guy named Sisyphus of boulder-pushing fame. So why does Hades, uh, Sisyphus get stuck pushing this boulder? Well, when Sisyphus is dying, he tells his wife, don't give me the proper funeral rites. Instead, when I die, just take my naked body and throw it into the middle of the city streets. And so he dies, and his wife does this, and 
Sisyphus goes down to Hades, and Hades is like, dude, what happened? Your like, wife is totally disrespecting you. She's not giving you the proper rights that are supposed to happen. Those rights also honor me. Did you know this? And Sisyphus says, well, clearly I just need to go back up there and give my wife a good talking to, and that'll sort everything out. So Hades says, all right, fine, go up there and, and have her sorted out. So, so Sisyphus gets up there, and he's like, wife, it worked. I'm out. I'm free. I'm not going back to Hades. No, that doesn't work. Uh, Hades goes and drags uh, Sisyphus back down to the underworld and has him push a, push a boulder up a hill for all eternity, right? That's how that works out. Once again, the gates of Hades prevail. The third story I want to tell you is the story about Hades' wife, Persephone, and her mom, Demeter. So Persephone is the daughter of Demeter, the Greek god of agriculture, and also the daughter of Zeus, king of the gods. And one day, Hades sees Persephone out in the world, and he falls in love with her. Lust is maybe a better term, right? Uh, he doesn't know her. So, but Zeus has promised Hades, because Zeus is Hades' brother, that Hades can have one of Zeus's daughters for his wife. And so Hades calls in the favor and says, I want Persephone. So Zeus says, all right, I made a promise. Hades drags Persephone into the underworld, and he, like, tries to treat her nice, right? He wants to win her over. But Demeter, Persephone's mom, is just brokenhearted. She's in incredible grief. And because she's the god of agriculture, she stops doing her work, and so all the crops fail. And not only is this bad news for the humans, but the Greek gods really like the sacrifices of crops and livestock that the humans give them and so they go to Zeus and they say Zeus you got to do something like we need Demeter happy what are you going to do and so Zeus sends a messenger down to Hades and says Hades will you send Persephone back up maybe if she meets with her mom we can work this all out and, and everything will go back to the way it should if we can pull that picture up once again uh so before Persephone goes, Hades says, hey, you look a little famished. Have, have a pomegranate seed before you go up. And Persephone says, oh, yeah, thanks, that's delicious. She has a pomegranate seed. And then she goes back up to the surface. And when she gets up there, Demeter says, you're out. Whew, we can escape. We're going to take you up to Mount Olympus. Hades will never see you again. Unless... Did you by chance eat anything while you were down in the underworld? Because if you eat anything in the underworld, you can never truly escape. And she says, you know what, Mom? I did eat this one pomegranate seed, and it's enough. But they work out this deal because they don't want all humanity to die. Persephone only has to spend a third of the year in the underworld, and that's why we get winter, because her mom gets so sad in the winter, right? And so all the crops die. Anyway, that's the deal. The point is, even against the gods, the gates of Hades prevail. Now, these are Greek myths. Jesus isn't Greek. He's not Roman. He doesn't buy into Greco-Roman theology. But the Jewish people, they have a conception of the underworld that's different from our modern conception of hell. They have a conception of the underworld called Sheol, and Sheol is very similar to Hades in that it's a place where most people kind of go and they hang out and they live in this shadowy, insubstantial existence that's kind of pointless. And it could be that when Jesus talks about the gates of Hades, he's just talking about Sheol, except for the fact 
that Jesus talks about the gates of Hades in a city called Caesarea Philippi. Now, the city of Caesarea Philippi is in modern-day Israel, uh, and it's historically sort of a Jewish area, except you may have noticed the city is now named after the Roman emperor Caesar. And there is in this city a cave, which I have a picture of, a cave which you can go visit today, which the ancient Greeks and Romans believed was the literal gates of Hades, that you could enter into the underworld through this cave. And you'll notice there are all sorts of ruins around it. These are ruins that the Jewish king Herod the Great built as temples dedicated to the Greek and Roman gods at the entrance to the gates of Hades. To say, Hades might be this place in the underworld where people have a shadowy, insubstantial, pointless existence, but the city of Caesarea Philippi is an example of how the Roman Empire has consumed the Jewish people, and the Jewish people might be alive now, but they are living a shadowy, insubstantial, pointless existence, shadowy because they are second-class citizens in the shadow of Rome, insubstantial because every single day they labor and work to make Caesar great, pointless because they cannot live out the calling that God has given them. They may be alive now, but they are swallowed up by the gates of Hades, which is prevailing against them every single day. And it is in this backdrop, in front of those gates, that Jesus says, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And the disciples respond, well, some people say you're John the Baptist, or some people say the Son of Man is Elijah, or maybe Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets. And every single one of these prophets that the disciples name are people who in their day stood up against the powers of this world that tried to trap people into a living death. But here's the problem with every single one of those prophets. John the Baptist stood up to the powers that be in his day, stood up to King Herod, and you know what happened to John the Baptist? Got his head cut off. The gates of Hades prevailed. Jeremiah stood up to the powers of the world in his day, the powers that were enslaving the Jewish people, leading to the downfall of Jerusalem. The king in his day threw Jeremiah in a dungeon and didn't listen to him until God sent the Babylonian army just to wipe out the whole city of Jerusalem. And so maybe we can say the gates of Hades prevailed there too. Elijah, he's got the best of all of them. He, he manages to to keep his neck long enough that God actually takes him up in a whirlwind and he doesn't have to die. But as he tries to convince the king in his day to, to stop oppressing the people, to stop forcing people into a living death for no reason, he keeps failing time and time again until at the very end he does manage to convince the king to repent. But at that point, his nation of Israel is so far gone that the Syrian army will come soon and just wipe them all out. And so the gates of Hades prevail even against Elijah. So, when Jesus asks, who do people say that the Son of Man is, the disciples say, well, 
The Son of Man is one of these prophets who speaks up against the powers that keep us trapped behind the gates of Hades, but we know the gates of Hades always prevail against them. And how could it be otherwise? To be the Son of Man is to be a human being. It is to be a mortal, and the gates of Hades will always prevail against mortals. But then Jesus asks, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter says, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And what Simon Peter in that moment is saying is, you are the Messiah, which is to say, you are the Savior, the Deliverer, the one who will rescue us from the gates of Hades because you are not just a son of man, you are a son of the living God, a living God over whom the God of the dead has no power because you are fully alive now and always. What Peter is saying to Jesus is, Jesus, you will do what Orpheus, What Sisyphus, what Demeter could not, you will storm the gates of Hades and the gates of Hades will not prevail against you. And that is such good and wonderful news for each and every one of us. That when we die, what greets us is not a ferryman across the river Styx, but the son of the living God who doesn't have to keep his eyes averted from us, but can look deep into our soul, take us by the hand, call us by name, and lead us to our Father's house in eternal life. But here's the thing. There are so many people who are alive right now who are still locked behind the gates of Hades. There are so many people alive today who live a shadowy existence because they don't believe that they can step into the light and be seen and known for who God made them to be. There are so many people who live insubstantial existence. They get up every single day and do the same thing over and over, day after day, week after week. And whether that same thing is trying to get the fix for their addiction or going to a job that they hate and coming home and watching Netflix, going to bed and just doing it all over again. There are so many people whose lives feel pointless. They don't know why they get out of bed. They don't have a reason to live. These people, though they may be alive in body, they are dead in soul. They are trapped behind the gates of Hades, and who will rescue them? And that, my friends, is where you come in. Paul writes to the Romans, and he says, Present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, I don't know about you, but when it comes to coming up against the powers of Hades... And Paul starts talking about sacrifices. I get nervous, because I know what happened to John the Baptist. Yes, I don't want that happening to me. But Paul makes it clear. He says, present yourself as living sacrifices, right? Not a sacrifice that dies and goes to Hades, but a sacrifice that is alive for the sake of the living God. And Paul continues by saying, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might discern the will of God. 
And this, my friends, is the will of God, that you be the body of Christ. Because the truth is, the powers of this world that try to keep us locked behind the gates of Hades, the powers of this world that want you to live a a shadowy, insubstantial, pointless life simply to work for their benefit and grandeur, the powers of this world, their only fear is to keep us afraid of death. And their greatest fear is that we might realize that we are fully alive and have nothing to fear. And so those prophets, John the Baptist, Jeremiah, Elijah, prophets in every generation, the gates of Hades have tried to shut them up in every meaning of that phrase, and yet those prophets have refused to be conformed to this world. Instead, they have kept a message going, passed down through the generations, passed down so that we might receive that message and allow ourselves to be transformed by believing it. That not only do we have a Messiah, the Son of the living God, who is stronger than the gates of Hades, but that we are that Son of the living God's body. We are the body of Christ here in this world, and because we are part of the body of Christ, of the Son of the living God over whom death has no power, it means death has no power over us. As soon as Peter says who Jesus is, Jesus says, okay, Peter, now let's talk about who you are. You have said who you say that I am, now let me say who I say you are, And Jesus says, you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Now I want to be clear, this rock on which the church is built is not built on one imperfect human being who will deny Jesus and sink in water and all these other things that Peter does. No, the rock on which the church is built is that confession of faith which Peter makes. You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. That faith is the foundation of our church. The church which is the body of Christ. Because here's the thing, as individuals, we are mere mortals who are tiptoeing as we trespass on Hades' doorstep. But together, we become the immortal body of Christ over whom death has no power the body of Christ which is sent to lay siege to living death, the body of Christ which is sent to smash the gates of Hades, to storm the mouth of hell, to bring forth every single child of God who is trapped therein and welcome them into life abundant in Jesus Christ. And just as every single army that lays siege to any castle needs more than just soldiers to storm through the front door, Right, an army needs generals to come up with a strategy. An army needs engineers to construct siege engines. An army needs cooks to feed the troops and um, quartermasters to supply them. So it is with the body of Christ. We, each of us, as individuals, are given gifts by God for the sake of our common purpose. Paul starts to list them. And look, It may not be that every one of us has a ministry to find someone who's lying in a gutter and pick them up and get them into rehab or talk someone literally off a ledge. But every single one of us does have a ministry. It may be that our gift 
is the gift of faith, a faith to tell people that this life as you are living it is not all there is. God has given us a better way. Maybe we've been given the gift of teaching to help people show to help show people in practical terms what a better way of life could look like, having relationships with people, having a purpose in Christ. Maybe we are given the gifts of encouragement, of cheerfulness, of exhortation to find those people who are weighed down by their life and say, God is with you, let me walk beside you. Maybe we are given the gift of leadership so that as we as a church come up with plans on how we're going to get people out of the gates of Hades, we have people to organize and lead us. Maybe you are given the gift of generosity so that you might provide the resources we need to carry out this mission. And if you are thinking to yourself, well, this sounds all nice right now, but I have no idea where I fit into this. I have no idea what my gifts are. We literally have a team of people in this congregation who want to help you figure out just that. They're called the Equipping Ministry Team. Today, after worship, in the fellowship hall, behind those doors, there are going to be five of them, and they want nothing more than to have a conversation with you to help you find those spiritual gifts and figure out where you can put them. If you're part of the Equipping Team, would you raise your hand? Yeah, there's a whole bunch of them out there, any single one of these folks, but you can find them at coffee hour today. Because here's the thing, God has put you on this earth and this place for a purpose. To have a life in the light, to have a life that is substantial and meaningful, connecting with other people, helping them connect to God, showing them that they have a purpose in God's kingdom also. There are far too many people living as if they are dead before they reach the grave. And so the living God has made you the body of Christ to reach through the grave and bring those people out into the fullness of life. With Christ as our head and faith as our rock, the gates of Hades will not prevail against us. Amen.